This is our first Sunday service of the new year, and I am happy to be spending it with you all. Uh, one thing that I hope that we consider and recognize is it, it is a genuine gift of God that we have a church family, that we can gather together, that we can be physically present with one another as we worship Him, as we encourage one another, as we lift our voices together in unison to sing songs, and as we bow our heads together collectively in prayer. We're making we're making a statement about what Jesus has done in the world and what Jesus continues to do in the world and through us. And it's a powerful message, and it's one that I'm glad to share in with all of you. And it's one that I think connects to what I'm hoping will be a, a useful and beneficial theme for us throughout 2024. Every year, uh, as I work on my lessons for the year and I kind of come up with, uh, with what I'll be talking about, I usually have an, an overriding theme that will unite most of the series that I go through and most of the sermons throughout the year. And then we'll also sometimes do things throughout the year that will kind of try to confirm or, uh, or strengthen or uh, re-emphasize that theme. Last year, it was Christ's vision seeing the world anew through Christ. Well, this year, the title actually, or the, the, the theme, it comes from the title of a book that was published in 1939 by uh, a theologian uh, from Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer is someone who, if you don't know much about Bonhoeffer, I suggest you look at his life and, and you try to learn a bit, little bit more about him. Uh, he's, he's an impressive uh, person in a lot of ways. He's someone who I think is a, is a good example in many ways. And he's someone who, because of his life, I think has earned the right to have an audience. He's earned the right to be listened to. His book that he published in 1939 is called Life Together. And that's what I want our theme for 2024 to be life together. We're gathered here together. We're called to live as one another who have been united by the blood of Jesus in love and in, in grace towards one another. We're called to live together. We're called to help, with one, uh, help one another. We're called to share together. Uh, we just had a, a communal meal together. We just uh, decided to, to share our possessions with one another, to share together through the contribution. We sing songs together. We pray together. We hear the word of God spoken and read together. These are parts of our life together, and a lot of them take place here, and a lot of them take place outside of here. When we share other meals together, when we help one another through hardship and through difficulty, when we visit one another uh, in hospitals and through sickness, when we call or send a text message to one another of encouragement. Life is hard. Anyone who's lived for a long time knows that life can be very hard, and it's even harder to do alone. And one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is that we're not called to do it alone but we're called to have life together. It was in 1939 that Bonhoeffer published that book. During that time, uh, being a German theologian was not an easy task. Uh, in 1939, he was uh, living in, Ger in Germany uh, under some dangerous and, and tumultuous uh, political and, and, uh, uh, and political circumstances and otherwise. And kind of just briefly sketch some of his response. Uh, in 1933 is when Hitler came to power, and it was right at that time that Bonhoeffer was uh, a, given the opportunity to give a radio address about uh, the political situation taking place in Germany, and it was at that time that he uh, chastised uh, the direction that he saw his country going and, and the beliefs that many people were holding on to, and the way that he saw Hitler uh, 
trying to become the focal point of their hope and trying to, to be the one who leads them in such a way where not only is he you know, trying to be a good leader, but he's ultimately trying to be the source of their hope and salvation, he as the individual. And he was criticizing that and, and the dangers that that could lead to. Um, as he got further into it, they actually cut off the radio address and from that point forward, he was viewed with a lot of suspicion and skepticism. Um, he, he did leave Germany for a little while uh, to study in other places. He, he actually he studied at Union Theological Seminary in New York. Uh, but in 1935, he was given the opportunity to lead up an underground seminary, uh, a place to, to teach uh, theologians and pastors and, and, and ministers uh, there for what was called the Confessing Church. You had the, the German church and the state church, which was largely under the control and a mouthpiece for Hitler. But then you had those who wanted to be faithful to God while still living in Germany, but not give in to a nationalistic gospel that equaled the, the teachings and the ideologies of, the, of, of their Fuhrer rather than the Lord Jesus. And so that was called the Confessing Church, and uh, he worked with that Confessing Church, and he uh, led. Eventually that was outlawed, and eventually it was closed down. But during those years is when he wrote this book, Life Together. He wrote it in 1938. It was published in 1939. Uh, as things continued to get uh, more hostile, um, he eventually had the opportunity to uh, leave Germany. Uh, he was given a, a professorship at Union Theological Seminary, which is in New York. And he actually moved there to, to New York. And he was going to do that. But as he was there, it constantly weighed on him. The fact that his brethren were still in Germany. His brothers and sisters and his church family and the people he had dedicated his life to were still there, and that he, because of his uh, you know, education, because of his uh, uh, abilities as a theologian, was given an opportunity to escape that and live in relative safety, but he felt like he was abandoning them. He felt like his family was still there, and he was given this get-out-of-jail-free card, and that weighed on him. He also felt that if, if the church in Germany is able to survive the coming years and is able to survive this, if he abandons them at this time, then he should have no right to be part of the reconstruction of, of Germany. He should be, have no part in the revitalization of faith in there if he abandons them at this time. And so after a very short stay, he gave up his professorship there at uh, Union, and he went back to Germany, and he wasn't there very long before he was arrested. And while he was in prison, uh, he was still able to do some writing and some teaching. He would lead morning devotionals and things like that. But he eventually was taken uh, from one prison to another. And in 1945, he was hung and uh, executed. So Dietrich, he died at 39 years old, uh, accomplished a good little bit during that 39 years. Um, but some of his writings have endured to this day. And uh, they do so because... Well, he's someone who not only spoke a powerful message, he spoke a powerful message at a really difficult time to do so. But when he was living and working with that underground seminary and he was uh, trying to lead uh, uh, this, this, uh, this faithful Christian movement in such a difficult circumstance, that's when he wrote Life Together. And in that book, he talks about the true value of actually having brothers and sisters who, are you, who you are united with who you can see, who you can be in the physical presence of. And I think a lot of times that's a gift that we take for granted. 
It's a gift that we don't always um, understand how beautiful and how, how fortunate we are to have that here. You know, there are a lot of things that if you have them, you take them for granted, and you don't realize how valuable they are until you don't have them anymore. It's like we don't wake up every day just so overwhelmingly grateful to have running water in our houses. But you take it away and you realize it's kind of a big deal to have running water in your house and you should be very thankful for it. Uh, I think sometimes we can get into a, a habit of just church being a thing we do, a place we go. Uh, you know, we, we, we know that you know, it's actually the people, but like, it can just become a mundane part of life that it doesn't, it doesn't hit us the way that it should. I'm going to read a few quotes this morning from his book, Life Together, but this is one of those that, uh, that sticks with me. It's uh, early on in the book. He's talking about this idea of how valuable it actually is to be able to gather together with one another. And he says, it is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It's like talk, he's talking about presence together. There are people who don't have this. There are people within our faith community who are shut-ins and who are homebound who don't have this. And for them, this unspeakable gift that they long for is something that so often we could just kind of take for granted or even, even put fairly low on our priority list. He goes on to say, It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of the Christian brethren is a gift of grace a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may indeed be brief. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living in a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren." I love that idea. This is a gift. It is a gift from God, and it is a grace that we can have this. It's a grace that we can be together. It's a grace that we can have a unity that, that wouldn't be found elsewhere because the unity that we have with one another is rooted, and this is very important, it's rooted in nothing but Jesus. It's rooted in nothing but Jesus himself. If we have nothing else in common but Jesus, that's enough. If our interests are completely different, if the, our generations are completely different, if our economic status is completely different, if our education levels are completely different, if one person likes reading and another person likes hiking and one person likes this kind of music and another person likes that kind of music, and like you go through and you can find all of these ways that we are different, that means that without Jesus, so many of us would have nothing to do with one another. We would go throughout our lives. We'd probably never run into contact. But we just had a meal together. We just bowed our heads together and prayed together. We lifted up our voices together, singing the same words of prayer and of praise to the God who created us. Why? It's because of Jesus. And, and I tend to think that the less we have to base our unity on, in some ways, the better. What I mean is, if our unity with one another must be because we naturally get along, we share common interests, we're of the same age group, we have the same goals in life, then all of those other things, they can dwindle, they can go away. Those are the types of things that, if you don't have them with everyone, then that would harm your unity. Praise God that our unity isn't based on those things. Our unity is based on Jesus himself. And if you have Jesus, you have more than enough. 
If you have Jesus, then you have the, a, a family. You have a brotherhood. You have a brotherhood now and you have a brotherhood for eternity. You have a family that you can be united with. Another quote from uh, Bonhoeffer about this point. He says, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more everything else between us will recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. I love that idea. You know what? We, if you turn on the news, you'll find people that you're supposed to be enemies with. Sometimes it's based on their politics. Sometimes it's based on their nationality. Sometimes it's based on all sorts of other things. But wouldn't it be great if all of those things slowly became less important or gradually became or uh, quickly became less important as our obedience and service to Jesus became like the one most important thing? And as everything else recedes to the background, the one thing that matters most is the one thing that all of us can share in together, is the one thing that all of us can recognize transcends the thousand other distractions in this life. And it's the one thing that, men, that, 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 that unites our souls together into one. That's a powerful thing that we have. And it's something, again, that, that perhaps because if you have friends and if you have other relationships, it becomes less meaningful to you because you, you have these things. You don't need it. You can, just, like, you can just go throughout your life and you feel fine and you have what you need. But by taking it for granted and by not giving the appropriate thanks and appreciation for it, then one of the greatest gifts that we have in this life can be something that we end up squandering. And, and so as we go throughout this year, I want us to remember that our relationship to one another as family, it's not an ideal, it's not a goal, it's not a hope, it's a reality in Christ. We are right now and forever will be family with one another. And that's not dependent on how otherwise we, well we would get along with each other. It's dependent on the love of Jesus, which is always sure and steadfast and which is showered upon us. We are family. You have family. And within this body of Christ, you have people who, who, who love you and who you love because you share the love of Christ for one another. You know, if you go to Thanksgiving, um, Sometimes you sit around dinner with, with family, and sometimes your, your family, uh, sometimes people have things in common, sometimes they don't, sometimes they like, have different views on different things, sometimes people like food a certain way, sometimes the turkey might be a little bit dry, and like, you, you, can, you can sit there and you can find ways to like, nitpick, and you can find ways, but you're still family gathered around the same table. And I think sometimes, sometimes when we think of the church family, we want everything to be so perfect and we often define perfection as so much the way that I want things that any time that there's a difference, we forget that we are family through Jesus right now and forever. And so we better figure out ways to make things work with one another because this is the family we have. And this is the one that Jesus uh, has, has forgiven and united us to. And so um, I want to, uh, to read a psalm, uh, Psalm 133. It's a short psalm, but it's a psalm that I think fits well with our theme for this year. And it's a psalm that praises God for the gift of unity with one another. Psalm 133, it's just three verses. 
And then I want to talk about what some of our, our, our goals for this year and what some of my hopes with this theme will be as we consider it this year. Psalm 133 and verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even the beard of Aaron coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. It's a fairly short psalm, but how wonderful it is when people are united. There's a whole psalm. This is one of the, the songs of ascent, uh, which, uh, which, you know, there's some discussion about what exactly the ascent is. But one thought is that it's a song that people would sing as they gather together, ascending to Jerusalem, going upward uh, to worship God together. And they sing about the wonderful things that God has done for them. And one of the things they sing about is the unity that they have with one another. One of the things they, they praise God for is the relationship that they could share with one another. And it's like, when you think of what a wonderful gift would be, our imaginations might go in a different direction than theirs, but theirs goes with having plentiful oil. And in, the, in the, the dry climate in which they lived, oil was often used to soften the skin, and it was used for physical comfort. And, and it was also used uh, for the anointing of kings and priests. It was used for the anointing of Aaron. And it uses the language of having so much oil that is dripping all the way down the face, down the beard, onto the, onto the coat. You have an abundance of pleasure, an abundance of goodness, an abundance of blessing, an abundance of the presence of God. And they're saying that, that being united with one another is like having that type of, of joy. It's like a spa day or something, you know, as we might think of it. Like something where, where you're comfortable and something where everything feels just right. That's what unity is. It's like the, the dew from Mount Hermon on Mount Zion, uh, which is where they would be going up to, to go worship God on, on Mount Zion. But it's the beauty and it's the presence of God among his people that you can experience. That type of joy is the type of joy you have when you're united together. I guess one of my hopes for the year is that we would grow to be more thankful for our life together, every one of us. This is a lesson I need. I think it's a lesson everyone needs. Be more thankful and appreciative for what we actually can have with one another. Um, we should be more thankful for times of worship together. Instead of perhaps seeing it as a burden that we have to get up for on Sunday or seeing it as something that interferes with our otherwise busy schedules, let's be thankful for the time that we set apart to sit with one another, to worship with one another, to sing with one another, to be with one another. Let's talk to each other afterwards because we are called to live life together. And it'd be really helpful to do that if, if we knew each other. You know, it's hard to pray for someone if you don't know anything about who they are or what's going on in their life. Like offering prayer for someone is, is a demonstration of a, of a relationship with that person. And when you can pray for the things that are on their hearts and on their minds, intercessory prayer. Uh, by the way, a lot of the things that I'm saying, if you read through the book Life Together, uh, you'll see that these become some of the points that, that he makes throughout the book. But the idea of intercessory prayer, where you're praying on behalf of another person, you're praying for another person, it demonstrates a love for that person, a unity with that person, a knowledge of what's going on in that person's life. Let's pray for each other and be thankful for that. Let's talk to each other and learn more about each other and prioritize time together. So goal number one is to be more thankful for our time together. Goal number two would be more committed to our time together. Prioritize going to, going to church. I know that's, a, that's, a, that's an unpopular phrase and sometimes it might sound old-fashioned to talk about you gotta go to church, but I'm telling you, you gotta go to church. Uh, it's really important to do. And, I, and 
You know, sometimes we don't like the phrase because the church, if you were to look up the English word church, it's going to tell you it's a building. Uh, And that's one of the reasons why the English word church might not be the greatest definition of the Greek word ekklesia, because uh, I know it's like the traditional word we always use, but we, uh, hopefully we understand the church is not the building, the church is the people. But I still think you can use the language of go to church. Uh, and, and the Bible, Bible, I think, uses very similar language to that. Uh, because when you come together as a church, which is a phrase directly from the Bible, uh, when you come together as a church, th- that's the people coming together. You're not the church on your own on a Tuesday afternoon sitting on your couch. You're, you're a Christian, but the church is the, the coming together. It's the gathering. It's, it's when we're with one another. That's like the, the word ecclesia uh, in, in like, uh, so most Bible words that we know, um, they had a meaning in a life outside of the Bible. <laughs> like they were used by other people who weren't Christians. Uh, they had secular meanings. And the word ecclesia would often be used for like a city council meeting or something. The city council, that group of people who came together, uh, that, that was, that was, that's the ecclesia. Well, who's the city council of, of the, the kingdoms of men? Well, it might be certain people. We are on the council for the kingdom of God, and we gather together with one another. And when you come together, be present and be part of it. You have a responsibility to the other people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ to be there with them, to sing with them, to share a meal with them. And again, I know we're busy, and I know there's a thousand other things that, that are on the schedule. This year, I at least hope we rethink our priorities, and each one of us will prioritize spending more time together. Yes, at church uh, or with the church, whether we're here or other things that we do. Throughout the year, there are things that this church does for the purpose of facilitating fellowship and unity. Try to come to those things. Be present. Be one with others as we do that. See if that's a change you can make in 2024. Uh, And again, I'm I'm saying a change. Some people are wonderful at that, uh, but I think every one of us sometimes, sometimes it can be a burden. Sometimes you have like, just look at your life and your schedule. Be honest with yourself and ask, can I be present with my family more? And if you can, then do that. I think it'll be a blessing to you. I think it'll be a blessing to, to, to the church family. Uh, I'm going to read one more quote from Bonhoeffer about this. He says, It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world and to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen or foreign lands, they stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing you've been given the gift of being able to gather visibly, to gather physically, to share in the Lord's Supper with one another, then take advantage of that gift. And finally, other goal, I want us to be more thankful and more committed, but also, and this I guess would be part of more committed, but more generous. More generous with one another, and there's a lot of ways we can do that. More generous with our time, making time for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ making time for other Christians, making time for our church family. Um, That would include visiting. That would include uh, the time that you spent in service to other people. That would include the time that it takes to gather together with one another. I would say more generous with our service, more generous in getting involved in some of the work and the ministries of this church. I know that there are a lot of things that take place here, and I know just about every one of them could benefit from having more involvement. Um, our, 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 uh, our children's Bible hour. Uh, the more volunteers that we could have for that, 
The more helpful rotation we could have, more people would be able to, to, to spend some time in here and then go help with the children. But that's something that the more people we get involved in it, the more beneficial it will be for everybody. Uh, Soul Train, uh, our children's ministry, uh, some, some of the work that Bert does with the youth groups, and whether it's going on retreats or on Wednesday nights, some of the service that they have up here, getting people involved in the lives of our youth is, is a wonderfully beneficial thing. Uh, lads to Leaders is something that is building up our youth uh, and teaching them things that are beneficial to them in the service of the church now and for the rest of their lives. And there's opportunity to be involved in these things. And all of those things I just mentioned are just specifically youth-related. That's one area. We have a thousand areas. You know, whether you're talking about missions, whether you're talking about benevolence, whether you're talking about the worship service, whether you're talking about technology. Like, there's so we're talking about visiting shut-ins and visiting uh, widows. And, and there are so many ways that we can be involved in serving our community and in serving one another. What I hope is that for 2024, every one of us will ask how much service we're doing to the church. And I recognize that some people are like nonstop. And, you know, maybe you're good. You know, like, but, but I also recognize some of us, uh, it can be easy to it just become a habit, but it never becomes something we, we don't Sometimes we view the church as a way to be served rather than to serve. And I guess what I'm hoping is that throughout this year, we'll think of ways that we could serve the church and contribute to the benefit of others as well. Uh, I would say uh, be more generous with our talents. There's a lot of talented people here. And sometimes we don't think of how our talents might be spiritual gifts to the benefit of others. Are you good at fixing stuff around a house? You, you a good mechanic? Well, use that to help your brothers and sisters who might not be good at fixing stuff around the house. It might not be a good mechanic. Are you a good cook or a good chef? You can use that to help feed people uh, and, and, and to get involved in, in, uh, in fellowship meals with other people and in, in feeding those who might, uh, due to surgery or sickness, have trouble feeding themselves. Are you good at teaching? Sign up to teach. Sign up. It, it, branch out and see if you can teach a class. See if you can get involved in some way. There's you have freedom to do a lot of good. Look at your life, look at what you can do, and then act upon it. Um, more generous with our money. Uh, that's something that, you know, sometimes I guess is less comfortable to talk about, but when we contribute our funds together, we're able to do more as a congregation. We're able to do more in our mission field. We're able to do more benevolence. We're able to do more uh, for, uh, for the spiritual growth of the congregation. Can you be more generous? Can you look at your, at your budget and see what more we're able to do? And by the way, not only just with the contribution that we take together, but even just individually, when you see someone who's in need, when you, when you are aware of people who are struggling, what can we do to be more generous and more helpful? Can we be more generous with our kindness and our attitudes? Even just sharing smiles and kind words and pleasantries. Sharing, uh, sharing kindness with other people can really brighten the day of someone who might otherwise, uh, might otherwise be in need of it. And then I would, I would also say more generous even in our theology. What I mean by that is there's a bunch of people here, and uh, we all have our Bibles, and we all hopefully love God and study our Bibles and try to do the best we can. But at the end of the day, even after that, you're going to find, I guarantee, if I were to write, like, come up with a theological survey and ask everyone every question on every biblical topic, there would be some variation here. Can you love each other anyway? 
Can you be generous with your theology? And, and recognize that even if someone does come down uh, on some issue in a different place than I do, can I assume the best in that person still? Can I assume honesty in that person? Can I assume, hey, there might actually be something in this person that I could learn from? I came down to a different issue. What are they seeing I'm not seeing? And maybe it's not just foolishness or blindness that's led them there. Maybe there's actually something they're seeing there. One of the, one of, one of the worst things we can do is shut ourselves off from any idea that doesn't originate from our own mind. Because by doing so, you are shutting yourself off from a world of knowledge. And I think one of the ways that God, one of the benefits of the church is that it's not just one mind, one, uh, one brain that's doing all the thinking, but you can learn from a collection of different people who have been studying and thinking here and throughout time. You know, like there's a wealth of information that we could benefit from benefit from the differences that you uh, have with other people rather than just using them to cause and create more division. I think in a lot of these ways, if we were to become more thankful, more committed, and more generous, we would all grow in our, in our understanding and in our gratitude and in our joy of our life together. And if there's anyone here uh, this uh, morning you're thinking about your life, and you want to grow closer in fellowship to the church. If you want the, the prayers of this church to maybe help you through some of the struggles of this life, please let that be known. We'd love to help and pray for you. We want to be there for you. We want to be a family with one another. And as you think about this year, the challenge is find a way to get more involved. Find a way to be active in the service of this church. Find an area of ministry that you care about, something this church does that's meaningful to you, and see how you can contribute towards it and get involved in it. And if there's anyone here who wants to start off your year by naming Christ as your Lord and, and having your sins washed away in baptism, please let that be known. Whether you're watching online, whether you want to meet with one of our elders in the room in the back there, or you want to sit on the front row, please let your needs be known while we stand and as we sing.